Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Our hearts go out to those who have struggled over the past weeks, whether it was Hurricane Harvey or Hurricane Irma or the fires in the northwest part of our country. People who are displaced, people who are struggling, people who are having to leave their homes and having to make their way without a lot of direction, people who are going places that they never anticipated going, but people who are discovering that there are those who would reach out to them and encourage them and and meet their, their needs. That describes us, doesn't it? As elect exiles, the ones to whom Peter is writing, because we are indeed strangers, strangers who are struggling, strangers who are suffering during our sojourn here on planet Earth. Now, that shouldn't surprise us, because Peter reminds us that Christ himself struggled. In fact, seven times in 1 Peter, he references the struggle, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to take time to look at these this morning, but I want you to notice that Peter is setting the stage based on that which happened in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he looks at exiles. Seven times in 1 Peter, he talks about exiles struggling. And so the comparison is, since the Lord Jesus Christ struggled, we should anticipate that we too are going to struggle. We shouldn't think that we get off the hook because he did it for us. We should understand that we are to follow in his steps, and isn't that what we were told in 1 Peter chapter 2? Leaving us an example that during the struggle, he gives to us the secret of success. We can follow him, and you and I can become victors rather than victims. This morning, the whole point of this message is to help you come out a victor. To help you understand that God's word has given to us direction so that we can prosper even when we have problems. So that we can be a success even when we struggle. So that we can come out on top, even when we feel we're at the bottom. We are indeed elect exiles who are struggling through this thing we call life. Our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to begin with verse 12, and I want to read down for you, down through verse 17. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, please. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you be zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There are two perspectives in this passage of Scripture. There is, first of all, God's perspective. God is sovereign, amen? Do you believe God is in control? Do you believe God is in control even when you don't understand what's going on? God is sovereign. The second perspective is ours. And that is this. Sojourners will suffer. It's a fact of life. I wish it weren't. I wish there were some whiffle dust that we could somehow spread over our lives, walk underneath this verse of Scripture and this prayer, and all of a sudden we would never have to suffer again, although I don't think that would be good for us. Because as you study Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 1, suffering does have a purpose. We're looking at that in our ABF, Berean Sunday School class. And it is true. Now, let me look at God's perspective to begin with, all right? Three truths, we looked at them last week, and I want you to understand these truths. First of all, we look at his eyes. God knows, God notices our needs. Mark that down in your mind. God knows, God notices our needs, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. There is nothing that you do that is outside the realm of God's understanding in your life. Amen? Does that encourage you this morning? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. I'm glad he knows. Sometimes I can feel sorry for myself. You ever have a pity party? I've had those. This morning at 2.30 when I couldn't sleep, I was having a pity party. Because I didn't know what else to do. But God knows. God notices our needs. Not only that, God hears. God hears and answers our prayer. Amen? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that uh, no, it's not. Take it to the Lord and leave it there. God hears. His ears are open to us. And lastly, God's face. God will right every wrong. Huh? So if you're suffering unjustly, No, vengeance is mine, Romans 12. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will right every wrong. Now we move to sojourners and suffering. And the Apostle Peter gives us six principles that we need to embrace so that we can be equipped to defend ourselves against the struggles that elect exiles face. Now, I'm going to get through this message this morning. Otherwise, I won't get through 1 Peter this year. So, hang on as we work our way through these truths and be encouraged. Truth number one is this. There is security in God. Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous of what is good? It's an interesting question, isn't it? The answer is 
No one. Who will harm you if you're zealous of good works? No one. Now there is a qualifier here. And that is being zealous of good works. It has to do with being eager to do what is good. Wanting very much to do what is good. Trying very hard to do what is good. Working with all your strength to do what is good. You see, God has called us to good works. Ephesians chapter 2. You know verses 8 and 9, do you not? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Aren't you saved? Aren't you thankful that we're saved by grace, through faith, by Christ? As I said this morning in our ABF, there wasn't a thing that I could do to make myself saved. I have nothing to offer. I could have nothing to offer, but I am saved by grace through faith in Christ. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God hath before ordained that we should walk in. You and I were saved to do something good. And Peter says, who's going to harm you if you do what's good? The answer? Nobody. And so we need to recognize the security in God. Verse 14. But even if, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. In the Greek, it's kind of a play on words. And Peter's saying, if it just happens, or perchance, or maybe, in your life you might suffer for righteousness sake, it's okay, because you'll be blessed. Remember the Beatitudes? Same word. And sometimes we quote the Beatitudes, happy are you. And so we need to understand that we have security in God because we are blessed by God even if it happens that we suffer for doing what's right, it's okay. It's all right. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look over at chapter 5 of 1 Peter, will you please? Let me share a little bit of that blessing. Verse 10. For after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have security in God. Amen. You'll be blessed. Do you remember Mary? Mary, the mother of Jesus. Went, went to Elizabeth while she was pregnant, and I'm sure that she was struggling with the message that the angel had, had given to her. I have no idea what it means to be pregnant. Never had it happen in my life. You have no idea what it means to be pregnant without a man. First and only time it ever happened in history. And when she went to Elizabeth, Elizabeth made this statement. 
Blessed are you among women. What a privilege you have, Mary, to go through this because God has chosen you to bring forth God in flesh. Woo! That's good stuff. But may I remind you that after Jesus was born, they went and Simeon, who is the high priest of the temple, said to Mary that her heart would be pierced many times. Ouch! I sometimes wonder how often Mary struggled with that blessing. At the foot of the cross, Jesus said, woman, behold your son. I can't go there with my mind. But I can tell you this. No matter what's going on in your life, we have security in God, and if we'll do what's right, we will be blessed. Number two, we can be unafraid or troubled in our lives. Back to chapter 3, please. The middle of verse 14, if you have a Bible like mine, you have a new sentence. And that new sentence begins, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Literally, it means don't get shaken or stirred up about it. Relax. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. There are a number of commentaries that believe that Peter was borrowing from Isaiah chapter 8. Now, I'm sure you remember what was going on in Isaiah chapter 8. God was going to send the Assyrian army to punish the people of God because they had disobeyed him. That message was given to us, Isaiah. In fact, God said, the Assyrian army is going to come in like a flood. Think Houston. Think Florida. No amount of sandbagging, no amount of preparation. You can't stop it. It's going to come and it's going to overwhelm you. But then he said to Isaiah, he said, but you, Isaiah, do not fear because you have a different perspective. You have a different understanding. You know something they don't know. And that is this. Number one, security is in God, so you don't have to worry about it because I'm in control. God would say to you this morning, no matter what's going on in your life, you don't have to worry about it because I'm in control. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't let it bother you. Understand, I got it handled. Number three, we need to focus on honoring Christ. But in your hearts, honor Christ. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. I like the King James. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. But don't be afraid, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Don't be afraid, but honor Christ. To sanctify means to acknowledge him as holy, to worship and honor him as the only God. 
to recognize worship and know that he is Lord. Tuesday night at our deacons meeting, one of our men brought devotions to us and reminded us of a book. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it. It's called Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Great book. Old book. Great book. And in that, Tozer encourages us to to know who God is. To understand that God is, is God. And we were challenged with five ways to know who God is. Number one, forsake our sin. You can't know who God is and still be in sin. Number two, commit our whole life to Christ in faith. Number three, reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Number four, have a longing meditation for the majesty of God. And number five, serve men. That's what God, that's how we know who God is. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You remember what Jesus said? Greatest commandment? What was it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The word sanctify is the word from which we get our word holy. Hagias. But make him holy because he is holy. Isn't that what Peter told us in chapter 2? Obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust and your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy. Because it's written, I'm holy, be holy. Focus on honoring Christ. How big is your God? Really? I hope so. You got a God who can handle everything in your life? We do. He will. We just have to trust him. And then, get ready for a defense. Be fortified with a defense. Notice here it says, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason to hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Defense. The word is apology. Now, you and I think that apology means we ask forgiveness. I'm sorry, that's an apology. But the word is really apologetic. And it comes with the idea of understanding how to defend what's going on in your life. Now, there's no defense except Christ, right? But you and I ought to be able to tell the world it's because of him that we are who we are. It's because of him that we do what we do. It's because of him that we can find real victory. In just a few weeks, the end of October, we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It actually took place on October 31st, 1517. 
That was a long time ago. And you remember what happened. Martin Luther, who was a monk, started to realize that the church had become corrupt. In fact, the Catholic Church at the time when it was asking for for money had this saying, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. In other words, you put money in the plate and you can get to heaven quicker. Martin Luther realized that salvation was by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. So he nailed these 95 theses on the Whitberg door, and we're not sure whether he really nailed them or not, but they were distributed in defense of what the Word of God says. You and I do not need to apologize for what the Word of God says. Amen? And we do have an apologetic because we are secure in God. We don't need to be afraid. We can focus on honoring Christ. And that gives to us our defense. Now, there are a couple of qualifiers here that I think are important. Did you notice what it says? With gentleness and respect. If there is one piece of advice that I could give our president, it would be this. Quit tweeting! And yet, you ever heard of the fighting fundamentalists? I mean, we wear it right on our sleeve, don't we? And we're ready to get after it with people sometimes. That's not gentleness and respect. I can give an answer. But I need to do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Remember the parable about the seed and the soils? Sower went forth to sow. And the seed, which is the word of God, fell on four different types of soils. Right? Hard-packed soil. Stony soil, thorn-filled soil, and good ground. May I ask you a question? Do you cultivate soil better by going like this on top of people? Or do you cultivate soil by gently bringing it up and sharing in their lives and putting your arms around them? and encouraging them, and minister to them with gentleness and respect. Somebody said, you talk so loud I can't hear what you're saying. And I have discovered that. Connie and I have never had a fight. Disagreements, but never a fight. I learned a long time ago. Who was it? Teddy Roosevelt? Speak softly and carry a big stick. I've discovered the stick doesn't work real well with Connie either. (laughs) But the speak softly does. Be ready always to give an answer of the reason of hope within you with meekness. 
and fear. Patience. Gentleness. Respect. And we need to give the evidence of a good conscience. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. To have a clear conscience is to act in such a way so as not to offend God and so as not to violate one's accepted moral standard. Conscience. That little person within inside of us. I can't tell you how many times I have walked away from situations and just shook my head and said, you dummy, you handled that wrong. And that eats me alive from the inside out. Ever happened to you? You dummy. I know you're not supposed to use the word dummy. But I say it to myself. And now I've said it to all of you. Having a good conscience, being at peace, having confidence in doing the right thing the right way at the right time. Knowing that as much as it was in you, you handled it right now. Many times in our relationships, there's another individual that affects that relationship. But I can't make that other individual do what they should do. All I can do is handle it right myself. And that's all God wants us to do. Having a good conscience. Why? So that those who revile my good behavior may be ashamed. Isn't that what we're learning out of 1 Peter 2.15? For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to ignorance, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. <laughs> yeah, that's a good conscience. And lastly, the reality. It's better to suffer for good than bad. If it's God's will. Did you note that in verse 17? If it's God's will, and sometimes it is, God's will may be that we suffer for doing good. And that's okay, because it's better to suffer for good than bad. As I have read and reread and will continue to read First Peter, it's interesting to see how closely God's will is attached to elect exiles. Did you note that? It's okay, because God's in control. It's his will. So, 
There's two perspectives. There's the divine perspective, and that is God's perspective. His eyes and his ears are his face, and God will take care of it. And then there's our perspective. We're going to suffer. It's okay. Now, how do we give that answer? How do we get to that place where we can give an answer to everyone that asks us the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear? I want to just give you some suggestions this morning, all right? I want to make this very practical. I want you to be able to leave here with, with a game plan of some kind so that you can uh, affect people's lives. And you know where you are. You know the people that you talk to. You know the people you're involved with. But, but I, I, I want you to just have some idea about some things that you could do, all right? To make a difference. To be able to give that answer. Number one. Ask some questions. What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I be involved in your life? What needs do you have? They don't care how much we know unless they know how much we care. You want to be able to give an answer? Ask some questions. I mean, we try to, try to give the answer without ever knowing what the questions are. I mean, how many times have you thought you knew what a person was going through, and then found out later you didn't have a clue. You know why? Because you didn't ask a question. You just made a statement. We need to ask some questions. We need to notice some needs. There is not a person that we come in contact with that doesn't have some kind of need in their life. There is not a person sitting in this worship center this morning that doesn't have a need in their life. And we go on about our way, myopic tunnel vision, just worried about our stuff. Never being willing to notice that somebody else is struggling too. Or we're too caught up in our stuff that we never make ourselves available to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, because we never notice what's going on in their lives. I have a pet peeve, and it's a pet peeve because I do it, and it's not right. Somebody will be talking with somebody that I need to talk to, and I'll come up and and just interject what I need to do and go on to the next thing. And I notice that when I'm talking to somebody, just having fun, somebody else comes up and interrupts my conversation, it just grinds me. Because why? You know, they don't notice what's going on. I don't notice what's going on. I'm unaware of the circumstance around me. You want to give an answer? Notice what's going on. Share your life. Share your life. Share who you are. Share what God has done for you. CBC 101 this morning, I came in late because I was teaching the ABF class in the Bereans. 
And I said to the couples who were there, what can we do to share in your life? And one of the couples said, that's it. We just need somebody to share in our lives. Hmm. New to the community. Moved in from out of town. You and I, we have our cliques. Right? Share your life with somebody new. Share your life with somebody that you're unfamiliar with. Share your life. Only one life to offer. Jesus, my Lord and King, only one tongue to praise Him and of His mercies sing. <laughs> Share your life. Witness where? Alan, Pat. Sitting down here in front. I'll bet you guys have been to the Ark experience, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Now you may say, well, how'd you know that? Look what they're wearing. <laughs> Randy, Judy, you guys got a ways to go. This is identical. But you know what? People ask, what's that pen? What's that saying? People will ask. I mean, you wear your tiger's gear, right? And they say, how about them tigers? Encourage, invite, request. That's all you got to do. When was the last time you invited somebody to come to Calvary Baptist Church? I mean, somebody who doesn't go to church. Say, well, they won't come. I'm not going to invite them. Huh? You do your job. God will do his. We have a couple of save the dates coming up, right? One of them's a family farm fellowship. What a great way to introduce somebody to our Calvary Baptist Church family. We're going to have a Christmas musical. Judy, ninth and 10th this year. Did I do that right? December 9 and 10, mark your calendars. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Chalk artist is going to be with us. What an opportunity to invite somebody to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and come. Say, well, I don't know anybody. If you don't know anybody, you better start to meet some people. I'm serious. Did you get gas anyplace? Yeah, I put my card in the pump and I drive away. Maybe you need to go in go to the bank? Yeah, I do the ATM. Maybe you need to go in. Is there anybody who lives next door? And review. Wouldn't it be interesting if tomorrow you went into work and someone that you knew, you pulled aside and say, hey, our pastor yesterday said this. I, I want to know what you think about that. Now, maybe I haven't said anything that you're thinking about this morning. I don't know. But look at your notes. You'll do okay. But just start to plant some seed. Maybe you go in and say, you know, at church we're memorizing this verse. Here it is. Will you see if I can say it? Boy, that'd take some guts, wouldn't it? 
Review what's going on in your life. Get people involved and say, this meant so much to me. Maybe it'll mean something to you. You see, folks, the reality is God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1. And in this old world, we're going to suffer. That's okay, because God is sovereign. And while we're suffering, let's be able to give an answer. An apologetic. A defense. Of the reason there's hope for this world. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men. Now, you're the light of the world. Remember that? You are the light of the world. You don't take a light, you don't put it under the bushel. You put it on a candlestick so it affects the whole house. A city at night has a light. You see it. Okay? You are. You are. There's no debate. You are. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Answer and glorify your Father.